episode 311. You know, when I first mentioned to people that I was going to be going out on my own, they said, yeah, that's a great idea. You're a great mechanic. You know, you, you'll, you'll do just fine. And I look back on it now. Yeah, I was, I, was a, I was a pretty good tech. I did have customer service skills, but I had zero management and zero money management skills. Welcome, aftermarketers, to Remarkable Results Radio. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hello, aftermarketers throughout North America and around the world. Carm Capriato here, and thank you for listening to the premier aftermarket talk radio podcast, Remarkable Results Radio. And welcome to episode 311 with Scott Palava from Lonsdale Auto Works and the original founder of ASOG. Hey, this episode is presented by Federal Mogul Motor Parts. They are the reason you enjoy these great aftermarket interviews. So when you need innovation and quality, you need Federal Mogul Motor Parts. With brands like Moog, Felpro, Wagner Brake, Anco, Champion, Seal Power, FP Diesel, and more. They're the parts, text trust. Find out more. FMMotorParts.com and thank you for supporting these brands. Hey, thanks so much for the honor of providing this powerful medium of aftermarket content. I hear from so many listeners while at conferences and emails that this aftermarket talk radio format is working remarkably well for them as a strong resource for their necessary learning curve today. You know, it's time to give a shout out to my newest Facebook friends, David Burke, Jeremy Carlson, Benjamin Herbert, David Murdoch, and Andrew Smith, and new LinkedIn connections, Aaron Scherer, Jason Alfano, and Michael Davis. Don't hesitate to get on board to my LinkedIn or Facebook pages. Find them on the social page on the website. And one more thing, we release every Academy episode as a podcast, and you know that. You'll be able to enjoy these great lessons from your industry's colleagues while you are on the go. Find every Academy video and audio at remarkableresults.biz slash Academy. Now listen to Scott Palava, a fellow shop owner from Lonsdale, Minnesota, who had an interesting road to success and sometimes rocky. He was so transparent in telling his story. No doubt a few of you can relate, and maybe even through his story, you can gain some insights to prevent a few of the challenges Scott went through. He had the grass was greener syndrome that happens to many shop owners, and he faced some hard realities that running a business was way different than being a tech. Scott shares a very personal story of almost losing everything because of a plethora of circumstances he faced. Learn from this and also hear from the person who wanted to get some greater insight from peer shop owners. So he started a Facebook group called ASOG. I'm sure you know of it. Now listen to Scott Palava, a guy who loves to help people. So he jumps in the tow truck and goes. Hey, warm welcome to Scott Palava. Lonsdale Auto Works in Lonsdale, Minnesota. Hey, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Well, small town, 4,000 people. Yeah, just under 4,000 people. That was the last census. And you're a city council member. Yep, I've been on a council for eight years. I was just sworn in in January for my third term, entering my ninth year of service. How is it to be in, in politics where you have to actually put up posters and go speak in front of people? You know, small town, it's not that big of a deal because everybody knows everybody. Um, and I, this year was the first year I've ever actually had to campaign. Um, there was uh, the previous uh, two terms I ran unopposed. And uh, this year there was uh, four candidates uh, running for two seats. That included myself. So I just opted to uh, 
you know, stay on for a little bit longer and see how it, uh, how it worked out because, uh, our, our city council is made up of uh, five, including the mayor. Well, if two two new council members would have come on, that'd be a forty percent change over in the local government. And I didn't think that was a a safe uh, safe thing for a small town when things are going good. And that was your platform, pretty much. Yeah, I knew what I was doing. You started ASOG on Facebook. Yes, I did. It was a creation of frustration, is what it was. I'd been in business for almost or just about 10 years at that time and i was having frustration frustration with the customer um and she was uh just badgering me about things and it, it was it was getting to be a little over the top i was just couldn't handle it anymore and i was looking for some insight and without buying into a uh consulting service or whatever uh coaching service I, there was nowhere to turn and I visited a couple of the Facebook groups for technicians and whatnot, and I found, you know, a technician's perspective was totally different than what the owner's or the manager's perspective was on how to deal with customers. And I thought, well, you know, I'll just put a, try to put a small group of people together. And uh, so I knew a few other shop owners in the area, so uh, I started the group and I added them. They didn't get a say in it. And then I went on to a, a couple of the technicians' groups and said, if there's any shop owners that want to uh, have a forum just to talk about owner type things, not nuts and bolts and diagnostics, but you know, the things that, that the shop owner needs to worry about, let's, let's do this. And uh, some of the technicians pages weren't too happy with it because they thought we were going to be uh, talking behind their backs when I said, you know, if you want to join and you want to learn about insurance and work comp and all that stuff, well, you can do that. But I don't think it's, it's really what you want to, what you want to discuss. And But frankly, you know, when you think about it, Scott, for anyone who wants to start in business today, it's not a bad little forum to hover over and learn what the challenges of owners are. No, no. And that, that wasn't, that, that was, I was all on board with that. The, uh, the issue was, is that, you know, there was a lot of that, well, you know, you're going to be talking about us behind our back. This will give you a place to complain. And it wasn't complaining about employees. It was, it was a resource for uh, how to deal with situations that, you know, I'm an island out here. I'm, uh, I can't just go to my, you know, the, the shop down the street, complain about my problem because that could very well get used against me. Yeah, you know, you, you are in a small town as so you were reaching out to the big, big world and starting this thing. How many members do you have now? When I looked this morning, we were just over 3,000. It's a nice group. It's not. It's not everyone in the world, but it's a. It's it's, it's sure a, a great group. Did you expect it would get it to where it is today? And are you happy with what's going on inside the group? Did I expect it? Uh, no, I thought you know if we get a group of thousand, fifteen hundred people, uh, you know that that would be a, a pretty decent number. But I, I never had dreams of growing. I mean, even if there was five hundred, you know, it still would have been a good number to bounce things off of people. It took some time. It was kind of slow going at first. And uh, right, I want to say within the first few months, uh, Bambi uh, joined the group and she was very uh, involved, adding a lot of uh, content and putting a lot of uh, conversations in place. And so her and I talked a little bit and I asked her if she wanted to come on as an admin because it was getting a little bit harder for me to stay on top of the request to join and you know that sort of thing. Because when it first happened, I, I would look at everybody's Facebook profile and, you know, are they really a shop owner? Or are they just, you know, searching for something, you know, trying just trying to get in? Well, it's a lot for one person to do. I never claimed to be an expert in everything. So I just opted that it was probably time to have some help. And so I asked Bambi to join me. We just kind of let it run itself for 
a while. The discussions handled themselves. We weren't really being very um, involved in it. It was just uh, approving members. We didn't have much for uh, drama or anything, so we just kind of let it run itself. And then I don't, we, we still to this day have no idea where it came from, but there was like somebody opened the floodgates one day and we were getting a couple hundred requests a day to join. And it was, where did this all come from? So at that time, you know, we, we discussed that it's probably time to add some more people to help out with this. And there were so many people that were passionate about it. You could see because they were there every day having the conversations and uh, providing insights. So uh, we identified a few people and added them as moderators and it's, it's grown. So we kind of have, uh, I think right now we have seven moderators, including Bambi and myself. Uh, might be eight. I, I, I don't remember the exact number off the top of my head here. But uh, as we grow, we, we add, you know, add moderators to uh, help because it's almost become a little bit of a part-time job. <laughs> is ASOG doing what you expect it to be doing? Yes, it is. It's providing a resource for shop owners to talk to other shop owners about issues, struggles, triumphs, all that stuff. I, I can't just go to a, another business in town and go, you know, hey, we just had a record month. You know, we made, you know, we, we just did $70,000 this month. And because they're going to be like, oh, okay, that's great. And, you know, yeah, you're greedy because you're walking around bragging about all the money you made. But you got you got to have your triumph somewhere. Yeah, I get it. I get it. A yeah. great outlet for people to celebrate their wins. Yeah, you know that's yeah. re- you know when I, when I see that going on there, it it makes you proud to see that the industry is really changing. People are you know uh, lights are going on. Uh, they're getting it, and, and 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 a lot of what they're getting is because the industry. It, there's no secret sauce, by the way. Everybody thinks there is, and the people that don't want to share. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we're really sorry, but I'm not quite sure that uh, you're you're going to make it. And everyone who is sharing, for example, on the podcast and, and in a- ASOG are are really helping all ships rise. And, and you know, thanks for starting it. Interesting story. Uh, as I learned about your entry into being a shop owner, you told me you had a really cushy job. Well, yeah, I was a I was a technician at an import shop, but uh, I was hired as their domestic technician. Uh, so I. Uh, got to work on all the domestic vehicles, um, and then I got the overflow of the imports. I, it was a, it was pretty pretty decent. Uh, I was making good money. Uh, benefits were p- pretty decent. Um, it was a uh, you know if people don't believe uh, believe me. Minnesota gets hot. You know they always think that we're the frozen tundra, but in the in the summer it is tropical, hundred degree heat with ninety five percent humidity. But this was an air conditioned shop. I had three lifts to myself, Monday through Friday, eight to four thirty. We couldn't work overtime. The they wouldn't allow it. There was you had a forty hour work week. That's what you did. I was making good money on it, but I wasn't happy. And it took me a while. I, I was there for about a year and a half, but I wasn't happy because of the I don't want to this is the stereotypical. I didn't like my boss, but I didn't feel respected or I didn't feel any of the technicians were respected or the customers. The, the attitude and the uh, way that the owner spoke to people was just so demeaning. And I felt I, I had earned more respect than that. So I looked around for another job, you know, another in the, as a technician, and I found I'd be going other places. It might be uh, 
I might be going back to working weekends. I might be going back to having to work nights, uh, longer commute, this and that. And it was either looking at being a tech somewhere, getting into management or, hey, you know what? This owner's doing quite well. Maybe I should be an owner. <laughs> it's always the grass is greener, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. The grass is greener. Unfortunately, it was artificial turf. <laughs> oh, oh. oh, that's great. Can, can we dig into that artificial turf thing? I love that. Yeah. I mean, so here it is. You're, you're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. You're going to start your own shop. The grass is greener, and you just set a mouthful. It's like AstroTurf. Uh, what, what are your regrets, man? You know, when I first mentioned to people that I was going to be going out on my own, they said, yeah, that's a great idea. You're a great mechanic. You know, you, you'll, you'll do just fine. And I look back on it now. Yeah, I was, I was, a, I was a pretty good tech. Um, I, do have, I did have customer service skills, but I had zero management and zero money management skills. My wife would can totally agree. Um, Money is something that just flows, and unfortunately, it spills everywhere, and I, it gets soaked up by everyone around me. I am, I am not good with my money. Wow. Uh, what a description. And, and, I, and I was not a good uh, manager. I thought uh, I expect everybody to behave like I did. I, I gave 110% of, to everything. I expect everybody else to. Uh, unfortunately, adults... Don't always behave like adults. Yeah, they're not uh, your clones. No, no, I don't. My, my wife always says it'd be awesome if we could find like three more guys like me but without my baggage. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, we, you know, we, no, she, we have a great relationship. It sounds like you have a great relationship. relationship. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But it's, um, you know, if they had, if everybody had my work ethic, you know, we would be. We'd be doing great, but uh, unfortunately, things come up. Yeah, work ethic is great, but that knowledge of uh, finance and HR and and marketing and leadership and you know building a fire under your people and and bringing the business culture and the vision to the business is what I have to do all that too. Oh, and pay and and do taxes and payroll and all. You know, you got the big picture stuff, and they have the day to day stuff that. You know, you're, you, you've put in 14 hours, you've only worked on cars for six, and the rest of it has all been peripheral. I'm talking with Anthony Frowine, a technical product specialist with Federal Mogul Motor Parts. What are the techs saying about your visit? Every single time that I set up a training, I try to put, position the van inside the shop. You know, you're part of their house at that point. Whenever you set aside that time, you tell them that you're coming in, you're providing a lunch, and you're really bringing something of meat and value to the table. Once they get a taste of it, really, by the time you're done, they're asking, when can you come back? When can you come back? Or, hey, what else you got in your bag of tricks? Exactly. Exactly. So the greatest outcome of your visit to a a professional shop? Is just to really make a difference in their everyday procedures to maximize, obviously, maximize the premium end of the product that's being installed. But ultimately, for me being a next shop owner as well, is to maximize their profitability in installing the part right the first time and having a happy customer. I always say happy customer is like a happy wife. Happy wife, happy life. Same thing goes with the customer. I've heard that before. So you take a Wagner OEX pad and you put it into the hands of a technician's. What happens? First off, they're floored with the cut design on the front end. They'd never seen 
a brake pad like this before. And then you start to break it down into why it's cut the way it is and how it's application or platform specific, how the backing plates are no longer painted, they're zinc coated, and that's for tolerance level. So that way you don't have a buildup on the ears and fitting into the hardware. I mean, you get into all the little nuances that they've changed around with that brake pad on top of the performance end of it. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. And then once they physically try the brake pad, either on a customer's car or their own vehicle, I've heard nothing but rave reviews about the brake pad. Federal Mogul Motor Parks' Garage Gurus is your go-to source for the vehicle training, technology, and answers you need to keep your next job on track. On-site, online, or on-demand, the gurus are here to help keep your business and your career on the road to success. Visit fmgarageguru.com. I think so much of what we talk about uh, on the podcast, uh, you know, over 300 episodes now, and, and we're driving the basic core and the need of everything you're talking about. Of all the things that you had to do as as a business owner, the non-technician stuff, what was the hardest? I'd say it's managing people. It's like herding cats. Part of the, I think part of the reason is I've always tried to let people be responsible for themselves but everybody had a different idea of what, what what their responsibilities were and what the expectations were. Yes. Yes, they're it's almost like they're they're flying their own plane. Exactly. So we're 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 not quite a finely finely trained squadron uh of planes. We're more just uh let's let's take a uh, we're a coalition of planes from different countries. <laughs> <laughs> Go fly. Stay, stay up in the air. Yeah. Don't crash. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We, we, we have one mission, and that's to get from point A to point B. And unfortunately, we're all kind of operating with uh, on, on different platforms and uh, with different expectations on how we're going to get there. Did you get any training? I mean, have you read any leadership books to help you in that quest? I'll be honest with you. Not a lot of reading. Um, this is something that is, is weird. People don't, don't believe me. I've never studied for a test in my life. So to read something and take notes or try to pull stuff out of it, if I don't pick something up when I'm first exposed to it, I won't. So after I was open for maybe a year and a half, two years, uh, I did go with a management uh, coaching firm to try to get up to speed with some stuff. They did bring, open my eyes a little bit to some of the things, but, uh, I was still kind of young and stubborn. Uh, so I, I wasn't, uh, super, uh, accepting of what they were telling me. You weren't absorbing at the rate that you should be and then, then implementing and, you know, and, and that happens to a lot of people. And I think when you're in the tornado of trying to keep the business going with everything else, mm-hmm. um, you, that comes back to that. You're not working on your business. You're working in your business. It's so easy to, let those things that you you picked up in training or reading, you just let them go. You just said the word tornado, and I and I immediately thought of the word tor- the tornado of change. And with that first coaching company, did you feel that you were in a tornado of change? Yeah, a little bit. Um, in addition to the coaching, there was some other issues with the company that uh, we weren't comfortable with um, on a personal level. We were hypercritical of what their intentions were. So we were trying to use the the business stuff they were teaching and separate it from the the personal belief teaching that they were they were using. I felt 
they weren't really receptive to my situation. Um, you know, if you're dealing, you know, Minneapolis is 45 minutes away. If I had a shop in Minneapolis, I could do things significantly different than what I could do in my town of 4,000 people. Um, and they told me, no, you, everybody does it the same way and it will be successful. Well, I tried some of that stuff and it actually backfired multiple times. And, you know, there's certain things that are expected in a small, smaller, small town environment that I just couldn't, uh, couldn't get past. Uh, so I would have these struggles of, you know, the experts, uh, I use air quotes there, uh, are telling me I need to do A, B, and C, but I found that that is not going to work. I might have to do B and C and ignore A. Was it part of just being stubborn? And I don't mean to be critical, but, you know, a lot of people will say, no, sorry, can't, no, uh, uh. I'll tell you, I have a coach, mm-hmm. and every once in a while I fight back, and the coach looks at me kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> What are you doing? And and every once in a while, I, I think that somehow we get in front of our own ways because we're not un, we're, we're we're unwilling to look and see. And, and listen, I don't want to I don't want to tear that apart at all. I yeah. just I'm just kind of yeah. doing a little mini rant here that you know I, I always see value I always see good value in some kind of training, but yes, not all of it was meant um, to connect a hundred percent. Yeah, I'll I'll just use an example, and I know that you know there, there'll be many people that will uh, will bring up uh, the whole idea of phone quotes. That has been you know debated. You know, you don't if somebody calls and they want to they want a price over the phone, you don't want to scare them away by saying nope, you we're not going to give that to you. We tried that for uh, for quite some time. You know, we're not going to do a quote over the phone, and I started finding that it wasn't helping me. Because the word around town was, uh, it was an aggressive tactic, and the people in town were not receptive to that. Got it. They felt, they felt all I'm asking for is a price. If you are not willing to give me a price, you are trying to hide something, or you're trying to pull something, or whatever that may be. And it's because you know I was a new new business in a town of four thousand. You know, at the time, three thousand people. It was not received well. And uh, so we we had to modify that uh, slightly. To we, we we wouldn't just say no, but uh, we would have to give some very broad uh, broad numbers. You know, I, I was played that you want to know if it's a hundred or a thousand is what people are asking. So it makes plenty of sense to me because of the tightness of the community and the fact that you don't have, like you say, um, a million people out there to pick and choose from. Um, it's a very very limited demographic. Scott, you still have the fire in your belly from the day you first started? I still have the fire. Um, it's changed a little. It's more of just the success of uh, helping people. It's not the fixing cars. That's your purpose, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 just, I just help people. I've been told I have a hero complex. That's probably the reason that I still continue to do the towing portion of the business. I don't have to do it, but it's uh, something that... Uh, I do it because when people are really in a time of need, it seems like uh, I'm there for them. And whether it's the towing or it's, uh, you know, my volunteerism in the community or whatever, I like to help people. Cars are not my passion. I don't like cars. I've never been into hot rods or racing or performance or anything. Um, I do like Jeeps. We do, my wife and I do have a a couple of Jeeps and we do go off-roading. You know, I got into this business only because 
I was a carpenter. I used to build homes and I was injured in a construction accident. I fell two stories, landed on my feet. It was not a pretty sight. Uh, and the doctor said I couldn't climb ladders anymore. So I got a job in a shop as an oil changer and a tow truck driver. Here I am 25 years later, an oil changer and a tow truck driver. Uh, <laughs> so it was never my passion to fix cars. It was, it just became what I did. If there was a market for fixing blunders, I likely would have fixed blunders. It's your calling. I mean, this is, this is, seems to be your calling. I mean, everything I hear from you. Yeah. Um, you know, and the, the, the helping people aspect, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bring it all the way back to the shop owners group. There was some uh, push to make it so that we could get advertising dollars and allow um, people to, uh, uh, to make money, even myself, to make money out of it. And I said, no, this needs to be free. When you're dead, you can't use money. Granted, I'd, I'd, like to have, I'd like to have all kinds of money that I could have fun with. But if I'm helping people, I'm far happier than if, I, uh, if I'm making all kinds of cash. What a better person to start a um, a shop owners group than uh, than with you and your attitude? Hey, think back. Was there a key turning point in your journey that made all the difference in the world to where you are today? Well, I mean, when I consider I started off just me and a high school kid, part time high school kid, and I grew and I got I got almost a little bit too big for my britches for a while. When the economy tanked back in. 2010-ish or whatever. Yeah, 08, 09. Yeah, well, it really, it really hit me hard in 2011. We had a lot of uh, foreclosures in our town, and I, I lost a lot of customers. We had a lot of empty homes. The other thing that killed me was the building that I was in. I had purchased it uh, about two years after I moved in, and it, one half of it was a auto parts store, and the other half was my shop. The auto parts store closed up and went away, so I lost... All the rental income and utilities and everything else. And with the downturn in my business, coupled with the loss of income from the rental, it nearly destroyed me personally and professionally. My, uh, I was uh, nearly gone into foreclosure. Well, the building went into foreclosure and my home actually went into foreclosure process. Oh my. I just kept on going. By the grace of God, uh, things happened. And I, I can honestly say it wasn't me doing it. It was just, I kept, kept plugging along every single day, just like it was any other day. Not, there was never any doom and gloom or anything, but then out of the blue, the mortgage on the building got sold to another bank. And they called me up and they said, what are you doing? What do you want to do? I said, I want to I want to continue to operate. I still want to be there. I said, you want to keep the building? I said, I want to keep the building. They said, okay, we'll work with you. And at the same time, the mortgage on my home got sold to another bank. And they said, what's going on? I said, the economy killed me. I'm self-employed. I can't make, can't make the house payment. And they came back with a, uh, uh, well, let's, let's get your mortgage modification pushed through. I'd been trying to get one for a year and a half with the previous bank. Six weeks into it, I got a mortgage modification that dropped my house payment $500 a month. It's a big chunk of change. So when it was all said and done, I sat back and I went, I have a second chance to keep, keep this all together and keep everything going. When I have people tell me how difficult it is to make ends meet, I laugh because they have no idea how little they can live with <laughs> because I did. So we've been pretty successful since then. Um, this past uh, summer, I 
refinance my building again and pave the parking lot. That's something I'd wanted to do since 2006, but just through the process of just sticking with it and trying to be uh, positive-minded, it finally happened. I feel no matter even no matter how many bumps and bruises we we encounter on any given day, I'm not discouraged anymore. I push through some of the darkest times of my life. There's no classroom out there that's going to teach anyone what you went through. Oh, no, no. I mean, you know, to be brutally honest with you, I have people that honestly say they have no idea why I'm still here, uh, both business-wise and as a person. My marriage was suffering. You know, my wife hates it when I say this, but people wonder how they, how I didn't end my life. There's people that have done it for far less, but I'm not an overly optimistic person, but I just, I'm not a quitter. Well, good for you. Um, so the, the big takeaway that we can give to to the industry, um, when things get tough, um, there's always a brighter light. What, what, what's your takeaway? You know, we're all responsible for ourselves. I think that one of the most important things for me was I had a responsibility to my employees and to my customers to still be here for them. That was a big one for me. I've When I thought I was going to lose it all, I thought, what are my poor customers going to do? I, I, I felt like I was betraying them. It's one thing to say, you know, I have to worry about my, my future, but all of their livelihoods were, were at stake too. And that, that goes back to the, uh, the idea of uh, one of the issues I had with the, with the coaching firm was they said, you know, when times are good, you hire people. When they slow down, you let them go. I couldn't deal with that. For someone to be disposable, that went against everything that brought me here because I didn't, I wasn't happy where I was because I, I was viewed, not viewed with respect. And I felt that they would not be viewed. They would look at themselves not being respected. What a, what a second chance, great second chance you had because you hung in there and you still had the tenacity and the dream to continue to help people. I mean, you, I, I guess you just weren't a quitter, Scott. There was a song, I forgot who, who the artist was, this country song came out around 2010, but it, uh, it was, if you're going through hell, keep on going. Uh, my wife said that that was my theme song. Uh, no matter how bad it was, I just kept on going. How long ago was that? My injury was in 1993. Losing the business and all of that uh, foreclosure stuff was what, 2010, 2011? Then, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, 2011-ish. Okay. Um, I'm trying to remember. It was really kind of kind of bad then. I'm trying to think the, the foreclosure stuff would have been 2011, 2012. So uh, six to seven years later, um, have you had any record-breaking months we have, and it's it's kind of weird for us because um, I spent a lot of time building up my towing business, um, and we were just lumping everything together. I wasn't breaking things out. The, you know, I didn't have a management or business experience. It just all got lumped Throwing together. Throwing the pot. Okay. Yep. Right. So if somebody was to just look at my sales numbers, they would go, man, you've been stagnant, when really I haven't because what I've done over the years um, is I have increased our service numbers while decreasing the towing and road service. Uh, at the same time, streamlining processes, we're doing more service now with fewer people than I 
was years ago with more people and more work. What's your secret sauce? Stronger, bigger AROs? You doing inspections? Is it is it marketing card count? What what is it? Well, we've done inspections uh, for quite some time. Um, we're actually in the process of uh, trying to get ready to kick off our uh, DVI side too. One important thing w- was to remember that profit isn't a bad word. When I was uh, serving as the service writer, I'm also the owner. I'm worried about losing the job, whatever it may be. I'd look at the ticket and I thought, oh, that's a lot of money. I better trim trim this off and trim this off. And pretty soon there's no profit in yeah, it. But you, you take the hundred bucks off the top and knowing you wanted the job because you felt it was too much money. So many owners have come on the show, Scott, and they've said, the best thing I ever did was take myself off the counter. Yes, yes, that's that's one hundred percent. The woman that runs uh, that is running my shop now, I was kind of joking, saying, "You know, she's running it." Michelle here is, uh, she was used to be in uh, computer software sales and cust- other customer service type jobs, and um, and she's not a car person. She has she has enough knowledge that she can convey the information to the customers. But sometimes the fact that she's able to do it in every um, Every everyday terms as opposed to the technical terms that actually helps, and, uh, and she says, you know, this is what it is. And people always wanted to come to me for the discount. But when she says I can't do that, they go, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, go check with Scott; he always does a deal for me. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a very you know very important thing. Is even when I'm in the tow truck, if I go out and I do something in the tow truck. I'm just a dumb tow truck driver. Don't take that offense to tow no, truck. No, I understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I was hurting my business. I would go out, uh, say, for example, a customer would call and they would uh, you know, think they need a jump start because the car just goes click. So I'd get out, I'd you know, drive there, I'd hook up the jump pack to it, and it would still just go click. So next thing I know, I'm wiggling battery cables, tapping on starters, doing this, doing that. I've got 10 minutes into it. Guess what? It starts. I found the problem. I'm like, what do I? Well, it's a service calls forty five bucks, and I, I'd leave, and I go, you idiot. Even if it wasn't my shop, you know, if if that got towed in somewhere, a shop would have been would have charged their normal diagnostic or testing rate. The people would have been okay with it. They just got a killer deal because they got master technician diagnosis on site for 45 bucks. Yeah, doctor, you went out there and performed a gallbladder operation for cheap <laughs> what the heck was i thinking <laughs> i love it um very so, good yeah so i you know it and it it's not to be deceitful but i do have to i i don't even carry my business cards in the tow truck they have michelle's <laughs> so because she's the one that they will deal with so do you have different diagnostic rates we don't we've we've got one flat rate um we we will adjust it depending on what the level of difficulty is uh you know, we, we, we start with an hour uh, of our regular hourly rate, and occasionally we'll run into something that is le- less time than uh, what, uh, the, it's hard to justify an hour um, fairly. You know, that's the thing. But, so you said Michelle is running your business. She's my service advisor, and she also serves as kind of my service manager. Minnesota is known as the uh, the land of, what, a million lakes or something? Uh, 10,000 10, lakes, yeah, yes. 10,000 lakes. Do you have a boat? I do have a boat. It's been sitting behind the shop now for two years because I haven't, I haven't used it. <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> That's my question to you. Michelle's doing a great job. You're making more money. 
Can you find some time to take off and you and the wife just go boating? We don't do a lot of boating. Uh, we do have a uh, we do have a place up north. Uh, for those that don't don't understand what a fish house is, we we have a house that goes out onto the lake in the middle of winter, and you live in it. And it you know we've got a, it's up on uh, uh, it weighs about two and a half tons. It sleeps five. It's got a bathroom. You know it's uh, yeah it's, it's not the little the little pole behind thing. Uh, but we use that as a cabin in the summer. So we try to get there. Um, we do go jeeping in the summer. Winters are tough, uh, partially because of the towing business, because I want to be available, because I do tow uh, for law enforcement. And so when are you going to put a, someone in there to drive the truck instead of I you? I probably won't. Um, and my, why is that? It, I, I, at one point, I had four trucks, and I had other drivers. And the cost of having that staff here, and at the time, we were doing uh, AAA and Allstate and all the major motor clubs and insurance companies and Geico and all them. We were always busy, but it all only led to a break even. If I didn't enjoy the towing, I wouldn't be doing it. I do customer pay and law enforcement towing and that's it. And it's getting to that point where um, I probably won't, I should say probably won't, but I might not do it much longer. Is it bringing in uh, job opportunities? It does bring in job opportunities. Um, there is uh, also, uh, I don't like using the term free money, but um, law enforcement towing can be good from the uh, the towing and storage standpoint. Uh, I have uh, uh, vehicles that uh, will be involved in uh, collisions and you know or or arrests and stuff like that and they'll they, I'll tow them in it's at 45 minutes out of my life and uh, they'll sit here for three weeks and collect storage fees got it I understand it's it's uh, it's maybe not free money it's easy money easy money yeah, that would be easy a, money. yeah that'd be a Hey, um, so so you're you're all over the forum since you started ASOG, and, and you see what it's doing. What's your solution to the technician shortage? I've been very vocal about it. Was an education problem. Uh, the, it was a school problem. Uh, the schools, and I was I was at the very beginning of that. They were pushing college. They weren't pushing trades, uh, and it's just gotten worse. I don't think there's a short term solution. There's many guys that go to school, guys and gals that go to school that get out, that get out that can't cut the mustard. I, I've, never, I've never used that term before. I don't know why I just said that, uh, but uh, they're not where we, we need them to be. And the whole idea of hiring them and growing your own, you know, just bringing somebody in and training them, it's it's even tougher. You mean the basics that they're coming out of trade school with is still not good enough for you? Yes. Um, interesting. I'm on. Um, I'm an advisor on uh, a two-year college here in Erie County, um, uh, in, here in the Buffalo, New York area. I had a, an advisory meeting yesterday. Every every month, uh, there's some interesting and disturbing information that I'm learning about grad rates, about dropout rates, about you know qualifications coming in, about articulation agreements, and uh, boy, it is one heck of an education for me. And there is a lot that industry can do to help these schools, I believe their passion is right. Some of the public schools, Scott, they take any candidate who says, I want to learn to work on cars. And some of the challenges is inside the classroom to get these young people up to speed and trying to keep them in the program if if they show any kind of signs. So there are many, many, many issues. And I think you're right. We've 
we're, we're kind of behind an eight ball for many, many years, and we've, we've got to set a different rack of balls, if you will, in my pool analogy here. Yeah, I actually got a call earlier today from our city administrator uh, asking me where I find my technicians, and I thought, well, that's kind of an odd question. We have a trucking company building a, a new maintenance and dispatch center right in town, just a quarter mile from my shop here. And uh, they called the city and asked, you know, she said, I'm going to need to find some mechanics and I need to find truck drivers. Where would you suggest? So my city administrator called me and asked me that question. And I went, just tell her to pray a lot. If it involves getting hands dirty, you're going to have a heck of a time. Uh, There's just not enough skilled labor available. You bring up such an interesting point because in in some of the forums and in some of the interviews that I've done, people are saying, hey, hey okay, um, I'm not earning what I should. I've not got no health care. I've got no benefit. Nobody's paying for my training. I've got this big investment of tools. That's the kind of place where our technicians from our industry can end up going to if they have a completely different or not a completely different, but if they have a better pay benefit bonus program. That's what worries me. Where are they going to find it? They may be helping us create the technician shortage by taking some cream of our crop. The Some of the, the big dealers uh, in the Twin Cities area, um, the, the car dealers, they are specifically, and I, I don't know how much of it's just hearsay and rumor, but they're funneling a lot of money into the technical colleges to train the those technician students to work on their brands to get them to come to work for them. Uh, so if, uh, you know, if Toyota is, you know, dumping a million dollars a year into the, the program, they're going to lean towards Toyota and they're going to talk about how great Toyota is. And, and these technicians are going to concentrate on Toyota. And then the opportunity is going to come to go work in a Toyota dealership and it leaves everybody else hanging out there. In my college, uh, Chrysler has a program called CAP program, and Ford has their program called Asset. And in those classes, uh, you know, our, our Ford and Chrysler's classes, and, and, and those young people, they stay in the program for two years, they graduate, they go to work in the dealerships. Okay. Aside from that, the normal enrollment, and I'm saying this for the benefit of all the independents who listen to the podcast, the dealerships make up the majority of the advisory panel and they all are offering apprentice opportunities to all the seniors. So they're already out in there and working. Uh, The career day that's coming up in a few weeks, majority of the people that are there are the car dealerships. So we, we have to, we, we have to step forward as an independent aftermarket and and as a United independent (laughs) work group, and get involved. I think part of what we have to do is to is to really get get out there and start volunteering and get get the right words said. One of the things that is challenging for many of us in the aftermarket is the whole premise of being community involved. Um, back when I got in my construction accident back in '93, I took a test, and I can't remember what the name was. Um, it was a uh, a personality inventory. I want to say the MMPI. Myers Briggs. Yeah, it wasn't Myers Briggs, but I think it was the MMPI, the Minnesota Mini or 
multi-purpose personality inventory or something to that effect. And I took that test and my, I had a very rare score. My score was very high on interpersonal skills, talking to people, communicating. The other score that was the highest was mechanical aptitude and knowledge. The only job on the entire spectrum that came up for that uh, for my two qualifications was a bus driver because they said the in, the auto repair industry typically are not interpersonal. They are absorbed in them. They, they don't have the, the communication skills. And that goes back to the old, you know, the old black and whites and everything of the goober. Uh, you know, he knew his stuff, but he was not much to talk to. Well, now as independents, many of the, many of us are, the husband is the technician, the wife runs the front because she's got the interpersonal skills, but the independent shops are, they have a hard time participating in these advisory boards and whatnot because they don't have the ability to communicate what they want without coming off as they're not very, they cannot, might not always be very eloquent. (laughs) What I was thinking of when you were defining to me your test score was a shop owner. But that's not that's not a list. That's not a, that wasn't on the list as a. I, I understand that, but maybe that's why you know that's why today you're you're so damn successful and you can talk well. I have proof of it right here. I have a number of challenges being be, where I'm located. It's not so much the business; it's just been the, where I'm located. I have a couple of friends that have shops in the Minneapolis St. Paul area, or you know, and they said you know if I was 25 miles north and I was in that area with my ability to deal with customers and handle the mechanical side. And um, because I was actually an architecture student and everything, and that was, what, that was my career. I wanted to be an architect. Everybody's impressed with my, my waiting room and stuff like that. They, they were like, if you could do this uh, 25 miles closer to the cities, you'd be so successful, you know, far more successful than you are now. What's the degree of success that you really need or want, I guess? My deal is if I could make what I was making as a technician, I'd be very happy. To be brutally honest with you, I make far less than I did as a tech. What are you doing about it? It's baby steps, you know, fixing things. Uh, You know, like I said, nobody realizes how little they can live on until you've done it. Oh, boy. It's a little bit humbling. We're living comfortably, and that's all all we can ask, you know, um, my, I have a friend that owns a, a large transmission remanufacturing company. Um, and he says, I got all the same problems. They're just bigger. So, you know, we, we run, I run into money issues. I run into people issues. I, you know, so I guess I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be the biggest. I just want to be able to live a comfortable life and, and help people. Scott Palava, Lonsdale Auto Works, Lonsdale, Minnesota. Thank you for being so brutally transparent and honest with us and, and sharing your story. I appreciate you having me. I, I'm glad to be here, and I'm glad to be able to help anybody that needs help. Hey, thanks, Scott Palava, for sharing your story. Nice to hear of your tenacity in overcoming your financial challenges and coming out the other end stronger and better than ever. Catch the show notes for this episode at remarkableresults.biz slash E311. Need any help? Just email me, carm, at remarkableresults.biz. And until next time, share this with a friend. 
Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.